This is the MTA Podcast, episode 396. This podcast is brought to you by MetPro. You can speak with a metabolic expert to review your current habits, discuss your lifestyle needs, and receive actionable steps towards achieving your goals, whether it's to lose weight or change your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. That's metpro.co forward slash MTA. Thanks also to Inside Tracker, created by leading scientists. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store at insidetracker.com forward slash MTA. Thanks to AG1 by Athletic Greens, the ultimate daily all-in-one health drink with 75 proven vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And right now, Athletic Greens is offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. Hey, hey, welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast. In this episode, we speak with plant-based runner and fellow podcaster, Claire Bartholik. Claire explains how she took an hour off her marathon time and ultimately ran a PR of 2.58 as a master's runner at the age of 42. And if you've enjoyed the podcast this year, you can get all of our back episodes going back 12 years inside the Academy members area. We call it the Podcast Vault. Find out how to become a member and get access to all the good stuff when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, back on the mic. Angie, what did you do for your workout this morning? When I left the house, you were running on the treadmill. How far did you go? Uh, I did five miles on the treadmill, and then I did my lower body strength training. I you know, taper down my strength training before a race, and so then sometimes it takes me a while to build back up to my previous strength after I get back into it. Usually if I take two or three weeks off of strength training, then, you know, there's that delayed onset muscle soreness that has to kick in and go through that whole process again. There was exciting news out of the Amsterdam Marathon recently. Um, Almaz Ayana from Ethiopia broke the course record there, and she set the fastest women's debut marathon time ever with a time of 2.17.20. Um, She's a former record holder in the 10,000 meters and was in the 2016 Olympics, where I think she got the gold medal there, but did her debut marathon and fastest one ever. That's one I'd like to do someday. Not going to run it that fast, though. (laughs) Amsterdam Marathon. Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. They do get some fast times out of there. Must be flat. And speaking of flatter marathons, another one that's really flat is Chicago, and we want to say congrats to MTA member Jacqueline, who ran her first marathon at the Chicago Marathon. She works with MTA coach Antonio. We'd also like to say congrats to Faye Hahn, who ran a 19-minute PR with a time of 4.01.23 at the Chicago Marathon. She is a coaching client of MTA coach Abby. Coach Abby actually had several people who ran Chicago Marathon. We got this nice note from Shay. She says, PR alert. I cut 18 minutes off my last marathon time at the Chicago Marathon. All thanks to Coach Abby. I feel stronger than ever, and this was only my second marathon. Needless to say, running marathons are tough, but I'm tougher. I'm so happy about the experience of running a world marathon major and my PR. One down and five to go, she says. 
She's got goals. That's right. Love it. Joanna says, thanks, Angie and Trevor and the entire MTA community. I did my first marathon at the Chicago Marathon. I was supposed to do it back in 2020, and I've been listening to MTA since then, and it has truly been so helpful in my training and keeping me motivated. My face hurt because of how much I was smiling. Well, actually, everything hurts, but I felt so good. It was an incredible experience, and I finished feeling so strong. Interesting dichotomy marathons present. It hurts, but it feels so good. (laughs) That's right. Finally, I'd like to read an email from a listener in Slovakia named Andre. He says, I'm from Slovakia in Europe. I've listened to at least 40 of your podcasts in the last two months because I started to train for a marathon which took place in Košice, Slovakia. He says, by the way, this is the oldest marathon in Europe, and this year was the 99th race. Yeah, next year, number 100. That's right. He says, in fact, it was always my dream to reach the finish line and call myself a marathon runner. But as you know, there were always reasons not to, like changing jobs and family issues. Something always pushed me away from the proper preparation. But this year was different. I turned 42 and I finished reading Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where 42 is the number from which all meaning can be derived. (laughs) So I could not avoid this magic year. That's such a great book. <laughs> the names in it are really funny. Yeah, I actually listened to it this year and turned 42, coincidentally. So <laughs> It's your magic year, too. What's the universe trying to say? <laughs> Andre says, during my training, I listened to many of your episodes, and I learned a lot of new stuff, such as the pain is not an obstacle. So I gave it a try. Now I'm sitting in my car. My wife is bringing me back home after completing my first marathon. My family is so proud of me. Guys, thank you very much. And he says, P.S. I already have a plan about my next marathon in Jerusalem. And of course, the 100th anniversary in Košice next year. (laughs) And that comes from Andre from Slovakia. Thanks for sharing that with us, Andre. And he might be our only listener in Slovakia. I don't know. But it's really cool. We were actually in the country briefly this summer. We stayed the night in Bratislava. It's very beautiful, very cool place. Well, keep it up, all of you out there making progress. Hope you enjoy this interview. We are speaking with fellow podcast host Claire Bartholik. We were on her podcast, or at least the show that she used to host, uh, the Run to the Top podcast You can catch us over there in one of their episodes from September. So then we want to talk to Claire here on MTA. She is now doing her own thing. She's got a podcast called The Planted Runner. Yeah, speaking of 42, she actually ran a two-hour and 58-minute marathon at age 42. And she is a certified running coach and a sports nutrition specialist and, of course, podcaster. So it was a lot of fun to have her on the show. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Okay, we're on the podcast now with Claire Bartholik, joining us from North Carolina. Claire, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Trevor. How are you? Great. You are the host of the Run of the Top podcast, but you're also launching your own podcast. Yes, yes. The Planted Runner podcast is now out. And it's really all about just diving super deep in all of the things running. Um, I like to say that I have three areas of focus. One is the physical training, you know, how to run, all of that stuff you do with your body. Then it's your nutrition. How do you fuel all that good stuff that you're doing? And then it's mindset. So I try to focus really on those three topics and really excited to have um, the show going so well so far. We're really excited to dive into all three of those areas. We'd like to ask all of our guests how they got started as a runner. So kind of 
take us to your running journey and tell us okay. how you got into this crazy endurance world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you want to go way, way back. I ran a little bit when I was a teenager because my dad run, ran. Yeah. Um, he didn't do a whole lot. So he um, ran about three miles every other day. So just kind of a fitness jogger, never raced, never competed. He did it because it was good for him, which, you know, when I'm 14 years old, that sounds terribly boring. I did yes. not want to do any of that. But but I did want to go on an outward bound course. Um, he had done that. I thought that was super cool, you know, go camping and hiking and all of this stuff. Um, and he said that number one, I had to mow lawns to pay for it if I wanted to go. So I had to do that. And number two, I had to start running because there was a half marathon, even for the 14 year olds. And so I trained all summer. I had um, my Walkman with my Top Gun cassette. Yeah, best soundtrack (laughs) ever. (laughs) Definitely. And I trained all that summer and went to um, Outward Bound in the fall. Ironically, it was in Asheville, North Carolina, where I currently live. That half marathon, I ended up beating all the boys, not just the girls, but all the boys too. And, you know, granted, there's a bunch of 14-year-olds. We're not exactly racing. There's lots of stopping. There's lots of complaining, all of that. But I kind of like, huh, that's pretty cool. And then I was like, well, let me try a little running in high school. I joined the track team and came last in my first meet and then quit. (laughs) Just like, this isn't for me. I'm not good at this. And I didn't really run much after that. Um, I did other things that were active, but not running. And fast forward until my late 30s, and I had a high school reunion coming up. So I wanted to get in shape. I didn't really want to run. I actually hated running, but I was just like, I'm doing this to get in shape. So I got in shape and somewhere along the line, there was no set day where I'm like, I love running, but the reunion came and went and I just kept going. And so a friend of mine was running the Boston Marathon and I was like, well, I'll run the Boston Marathon. I had no idea that you actually have to qualify for that. So so I started training and, you know, long story short, totally fell in love with the marathon completely became a student of it. And, you know, we can talk about all the details of all of that, but just absolutely head over heels became my passion and then became a coach. And here I am. So you decided to get in shape for the high school reunion. Right. Which you did. And then you went there. So were you able to like flex on all the old classmates? Totally. Yes, totally. (laughs) I looked good. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And I think that in comparison is, you know, I wasn't that fit in high school. So it was, you know, a low bar. So, (laughs) but, but still, you know, it's about your late thirties where, you know, people go in a couple different directions physically. And so it was really nice to go back and, and be in shape, you know, definitely was a flex. I, I am vain. I have to admit it, but you know, running very quickly was not about vanity after that that experience, though. Yeah, I was about to ask because a lot of people do get into running to lose weight. Mm-hmm. But then you have to kind of have a deeper motivation to keep going with it mm-hmm. and to find a passion for long distance running. So what was it for you after that? I, um, you know, so I ran the same half marathon that I ran in my 20s, 11 years later, and I beat my time by something like four minutes or something like that. And I was just like, wow, that is really cool. I want to do this. So when I started um, moving up to the marathon, I just started getting 
better and better and better each time. And and for me, that accomplishment got really addictive, <laughs> you know, just I'm a worker, you know, like I like to work, I like to DIY, I like to do stuff, and I love seeing results. And for me, I had a lot of results pretty quickly. And that was just so gratifying. It like lit up all the dopamine receptors or, <laughs> or whatever the science is. I, it just became something that I just was fired up about and really got into. Having that inner drive, that inner passion is so important. So you kind of talked about how you had that friend who was running Boston mm -hmm. and you realized like, wow, to run Boston, you need a qualifying time. So was that the impetus to, you know, sign up for your first marathon and start training? Yes. So my first marathon, um, I chose the local marathon in town. So in Asheville, North Carolina, it's hilly at altitude and it's in March. So it was 45 degrees and raining. Mm. So <laughs> probably not the best first marathon as far as course goes, but I did it in a respectable 402, you know, very good um, time, but I did have to walk at times, you know, I, I underestimated it, of course, but it wasn't so terrible that I didn't want to try again. And so I decided, I think it was, you know, three or four months later, there was a race out in Utah and I, I don't know, I got like a Facebook ad or something and I'm just like, I'm going to do that and flew out there and got my BQ with only 90 seconds to spare. And that year it was good enough. And so I was able to go to Boston the following year. And once you get into like the whole Boston hype thing, that's just really, really, I don't know, just so motivating. I had met a bunch of local runners in Asheville and, you know, they're all just running geeks and everybody's way into it. And, you know, I found my tribe. <laughs> and, and when people just geek out about the thing that you love, you know, just as much, it just sort of amplifies it. And I think that's what happened to me. I was definitely caught up in it and just it, it kept getting reinforced every time that I would go run with my running buddies. So you mentioned that your first marathon was finished in 402. I'm sure, you know, being a goal oriented person, you probably thought like, oh, so close to breaking four hours because that, you know, that's often what our mind goes to. Yep. But then you have since set a PR of two hours and 58 minutes, which is a phenomenal PR. So can you kind of talk us through what the keys were that you think helped you go from a 402 to a 258? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's a lot to it. You know, obviously the physical training. So, you know, you have to follow a plan. You have to be smart about it. You have to do all the things, you know, just winging it, just running when you feel like it. You know, you can't build a house without a blueprint, or at least you can't build a very good house without a <laughs> blueprint. So you kind of have to, you have to follow a plan. And to be honest, I just used a free plan, just an online plan for free for my first couple. And then later on, I got coaching and that made a world of difference. But at yes. the beginning, I'm a really kind of a check the box person. So a free plan really worked well for me. I could just do that. But once I started progressing, I definitely needed help. I definitely needed to progress. But the next thing I would say was key is strength training, regular strength training. I've always kind of done a little bit of it. Not it was super excessive, but I knew that I needed to do that to support my running. So, you know, twice a week in the gym, nothing crazy, but definitely super consistent with that. And then the other thing, like I said, that I think made a huge difference in my progression was finding a group, finding a tribe, finding people to, you know, nerd out about running, finding people 
who inspired me, finding people my age, you know, so I was 42 years old when I got to 58. And that is only because I've been inspired by people, women in their 40s, who are better than me, you know, (laughs) who can do way better than me. And so I wanted to be a fast girl, you know, I wanted to be, I believed I could hit that goal. And it's because I saw people doing it. You know, if I had no people to look at, I don't think I ever would have even tried. So really surrounding yourself with people who are doing the thing that you want to do whether it's in person or online, I think you can do that effectively online too. But really surrounding yourself with people who you would like to be like is so underrated and so important. Yeah, those are all really important, I think. And Mm -hmm. how important was following a plant-based eating plan for you? And how did you get into that? I mean, has that been something that's always been part of your life? Or is that a shift that you've made since you've gotten into running? I'm really curious about that. (laughs) Yeah. So the plant-based part came first. I had been sort of a flexitarian kind of, um, you know, just eating turkey or seafood occasionally, but no meat. um, And I ate dairy and, and, you know, was just fine with that. So I wasn't a huge meat eater. And then I actually just watched a couple documentaries. And for me, the switch was flipped and I just really never went back. And kind of like running, I just sort of immersed myself in it, taught, became a student of it, learned what I needed to eat to, to be healthy. And it really just fits with who I am. I try to eat whole foods as much as possible. I do you know, have some processed foods. I'm not perfect and I don't think anybody should be perfect. That's an illusion and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and something that you should shouldn't actually shoot for because it makes you very boring. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I try my best to eat healthy, but also really pay attention to what fuels me as an athlete, which I didn't understand at the beginning. You know, I was so focused on the running part, I would just try to eat quote unquote healthy, whatever healthy means. But it took me a while to figure out the combinations and the amount of food that I would actually need to eat to fuel my running. Because at my highest point, I was running 90 miles a week. And that is a lot of food that you Mm -hmm. have to eat in order to support that. So, you know, really being smart with your fueling, like treating it just as important as your running training, I think is really important. That's a great point. Um, you know, you talked about having that training plan and not just haphazardly scattershot your runs and run a marathon, um, but also with that nutrition aspect. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes that is really a difficult key for runners to plug in because they're like, okay, I can get behind the training plan. I see how important that is, but it's harder sometimes to have that discipline and focus in the area of nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one key for runners to achieving their goals. Well, this would actually be a good time to thank our nutrition sponsor, MetPro, when it comes to having a proven plan for fueling your body and achieving your ideal body composition. MetPro has been such a big help to us and many in our audience. That's right. I know that dialing in my nutrition was so key in helping me lose unwanted fat. And as a consequence of that, I was able to run stronger, run faster, set a marathon PR, set a half marathon PR at age 41, which was very exciting. And, you know, I just really learned a lot about the process of eating in a balanced and healthy way tailored toward an endurance athlete. 
can't say enough good about the folks at MetPro. They are experts in helping you dial in your metabolic needs. Give them a call. You can talk to them for free. If you decide to work with them, tell them we sent you. You'll save 500 bucks. Metpro.co forward slash MTA. Metpro.co forward slash MTA. We'd like to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. They analyze your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to help identify where you're optimized and where you have room for improvements. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, they'll come right to your house, take a blood sample, send it off to the lab, and then boom, you get back all this fantastic data. Yeah, because sometimes you can get blood work data back and I mean, you can see if you're flagged outside of the normal limits, but with Inside Tracker, they tell you exactly what it means and ways that you can optimize that data, foods that you can eat to help bring your numbers into an optimized and healthy level. After your blood test, you'll be able to log into your Inside Tracker dashboard and see where all of your biomarkers are at, as well as your inner age, which is a cool metric that the Inside Tracker algorithm computes. That's right. It all goes to show that your biological age is just a number. It's more about how you feel and how you perform. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to InsideTracker.com slash MTA. InsideTracker.com slash MTA. What would you say to that runner who is plant curious, I guess, you know, like they're plant-based curious. Do you find that people have more results going all in or are there ways to incorporate more plant-based meals without going entirely vegan? Because I think for some people, it's a huge bar. They're already like, I work, I have kids, I've got all these commitments. And then like making a major overhaul of their nutrition can kind of seem daunting. Yeah, I think that is an excellent point. I think there are very few people that are kind of the black and white all in type person. I personally am that way just because I find it easier to stay consistent if I just have a red line and I'm like, nope, I don't want to eat that, but I'm going to eat this. So for me personally, it's easier, but I don't believe it's necessary to be 100% plant-based. There is really no evidence that says that 100% is any better than 85 or 90%. You know, if you're doing everything right 85% of the time, you're amazing. You know, <laughs> right. you. Do, I mean, that is absolutely awesome. You don't have to be perfect with it. You don't have to put a label on yourself. You don't have to be this or be that. You can just eat what fuels your body. And if you're plant curious, I think that's amazing. You know, I, there's no one on this planet that shouldn't eat more plants. You know, <laughs> I mean, we should all eat plants, all of our nutrients, fiber, you know, everything. It can come from plants. There are a few things that you're going to need to educate yourself on and how to do it right. If you eat nothing but salads, that's a bad idea. You know, (laughs) you know, it's not just about eating rabbit food. There's more to it than just eating plants. You need to, you know, learn a few things about that. But I really think that if you're eating more plants, you're doing it right. Would you have breakfast? (laughs) Well, today I had um, toast and peanut butter. (laughs) That is usually my go-to. And then later on, I'll have some fruit and nuts or seeds. So my favorite snack in between meals is a piece of fruit, whether it's a banana or an apple or grapes or whatever I have on hand. And then about, you know, an ounce of nuts. So peanuts or sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds, whatever it is. So I'll have that twice a day. And then lunch is usually leftovers from the night before, 
And then dinner could be all sorts of things. So it could be stir fries, tacos, pasta. Um, I really try to focus on protein because right now I am strength training more than running. Mm -hmm. I'm still running, but I'm trying to work on getting these big guns. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work on um, strength and power right now a little bit more than running. So I'm really trying to pay attention to how much protein I eat because um, that's one place where if you are a strict vegan, you, you do need to pay attention to that, especially if the miles are piling up or you are lifting a lot of heavy things. You do need to pay attention to that. But the other key thing for me is make it delicious. You know, it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be boring. Mm -hmm. um, anything that you can make non-vegan, there's some way to make it sort of close at least, or there's some way to have to replicate the the feeling you get with something that's non-vegan, you know, with a vegan, you know, substitute. So lots of ways to have tons of diversity and make it taste good. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you pointed out, like, don't try to be perfect. Keep it simple, especially in the beginning. And then you can kind mm -hmm. of increase your repertoire as you go. And there are some you know, great cookbooks out there, recipes online. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the substitute products, if you want to go in that direction, have gotten way better. Mm -hmm. um, I was a vegetarian for about 10 years in my late teens and 20s. And I, I was not a healthy vegetarian at the time. I mean, I pretty much just ate like vegetarian versions of <laughs> processed foods and things like that. Right. Um, and, you know, I remember like trying tofu and they had a few of the, the fake cheeses and everything, but they were just terrible. And mm -hmm. it was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. It's come a long way. <laughs> it has. Exactly. There's a lot more products geared toward that. And it does take out some of the complications and the guesswork. You know, so you're focusing more on strength right now. Do you supplement with some type of protein powder to fill in the gaps? Or do you try to get all that from Whole Foods? I do occasionally use a, a protein powder. So I obviously use um, a vegan one or gain is the one that I use the most often. There's a couple reasons I like to do that. And um, obviously convenience, it's, you know, if, if I'm doing a workout and then I don't want to cook a meal right afterward, having a shake is super easy. Yeah. But the other reason is actually the variety of protein. So I do eat a lot of soy products and I don't want to eat soy every single meal. Mm -hmm. I want to branch out and eat something different. So I use a pea rice blend just to try to um, diversify my protein sources. So the protein shake actually really helps with that. So I'm not super dependent on one you know, type of protein. Yeah, that sounds really wise. So we kind of talked about earlier, it's not just enough to put in the training, you know, especially as you're looking to improve, maybe set a PR or go a longer distance. Um, how does mindset play a key role in running success? Because, you know, it's not just your legs <laughs> that need <No>. the work. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, you'll never reach your potential with your body if your mind is not on board. If you're trying to do anything worthwhile, it's hard. Running is hard. Running slowly is hard. Running fast <laughs> is hard. All of running is hard. And anybody who says any different is lying to you. Running is hard. <laughs> and you can make it easier if you can get your mind on board. So, you know, some of it is stuff that you want to work on outside of the run, like goal setting, finding your why, you know, really understanding why this is a passion for you, what you're doing, zooming out to some of that bigger picture stuff. And then there's other things that you want to do that actually help you on the run right now, 
you know, little tricks that you can do that either distract you from the horrible thing you're doing to your body <laughs> or they help your performance and and help you kind of shift your perspective. So I include um, mindset training, uh, mental strength training, weekly workouts um, in all, for all my athletes that I coach. And so I'm doing that actually on the Plan and Runner podcast too. I, I call it the Mental Strength Minute. Nice. So the very, the last 60 seconds of the show, I share some kind of mental strength technique that you can use on the run to make your run better that very day. And, you know, as we know, I'm sure your audience is listening on the run. My audience is listening on the run. So while you're on the run is some of the best time to practice this stuff. It's really just like working your physical muscles. You're working your mental muscle. It's something you need to do over and over again. You know, if if I tell you some kind of mantra or whatever, and you're like, oh, that's a great idea. If you never practice it, it'll never work. So you have to repeat it over and over again. And you have to do these exercises over and over again, just like you have to do your easy run over and over and over again, <laughs> you know, your strides over and over and over again. It's really amazing when you make that shift to saying, okay, I'm going to work on my mental strength today. It's amazing how it'll change your runs. Can you give us an example of one of the exercises? Yeah. So one of them that um, I just talked about is called um, this. I mess up on saying this all the time, so I might need a few takes here. <laughs> Distanced self-talk. Okay. And so it's basically talking to yourself in third person and it sounds really silly. So when I'm running up a hill and it's hard and I don't want to do it, if I say, Claire, you can do it. Claire, get up that hill. Claire, you're strong just saying your name and you could say it out loud if you don't mind what the neighbors think, but most of the time <laughs> you're saying it in your head to yourself and just saying your name and talking in third person triggers something. It makes us think that somebody else is talking. It's like you're your own coach, you're your own cheerleader and you say it over and over again and you hear professional athletes do this all the time. You know, LeBron James is famous for it. He'll be like, LeBron James is going to do what LeBron James is going to do or, or whatever he <laughs> says, you know? You, you'll hear famous athletes talk about themselves like this. And it's actually a psychological technique that really works. Yeah, I think it was last year I listened to Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. Oh, I've read that, is, yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating. So that theme of distanced self-talk, I think, runs through the whole book. From the time he was a, a young man and he was a foreign exchange student in Australia to mm -hmm. coming back to the States and getting his first role. And then like all the success in his career, he would get to a hard point in his life and he would say, you got this, McConaughey. Yes. <laughs> Everyone can imagine his voice right now. You know? Yeah. And like you mentioned, I think it's so important to do this during your training on those everyday runs to help yourself because you get in a race setting and things are getting hard and maybe your confidence is dropping or your, you know, some kind of obstacle has come up. You want to have practiced this. So you have mm -hmm. that tool and you can encourage yourself. You know, you can be like, yeah. you've got this, Claire, just keep going, keep pushing, whatever your mantra is and just add your name to that mantra. I love that. That is so powerful. Absolutely. You know, and as coaches, what we are actually trying to do is teach an athlete to coach themselves, you know, mm -hmm. teach an athlete that they can make decisions on their own and they're good, smart decisions because you need to make a lot of decisions in a marathon. You need to make a lot of decisions in a 5K. I mean, <laughs> you know, so your coach is not going to be in your ear the whole time. So if we can teach athletes to be their own coach, like our work is done, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> 
So yeah, we, we did a whole episode on how running is like self-leadership Ooh. and training for a marathon specifically is like a forced self-development program. So can you make yourself do hard things and keep yourself going when you want to quit? There is nothing better than doing something hard well. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, anyone can do something easy well. You know, we can all like watch Netflix well. <laughs> yes. I'm yes. a pro at that. I bet. <laughs> Those episodes just like roll one after the yeah. other, you know. <laughs> Not so with the miles. You got to keep yourself no. going. <laughs> yep, for sure. Okay, so we want to shift gears and talk about masters runners. Mm-hmm. So a masters, for anyone who's not heard that term, a runner who is over 40. So we're all at masters runners in the house yes. here. <laughs> yes. So you got your PR as a masters runner. Yes. So we I did. should talk about, you know, tips that you have for masters runners who want to stay strong, injury free. And yeah, yeah, do you think there's anything that a masters runner should be doing differently when it comes to success in the marathon? That's we'll wrap that in as well. <laughs> um, typically, yes, there are some things that you do want to do differently. The first thing, though, I would like to point out is that um, a lot of people think, oh, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm old. And so I can't run fast anymore. And that is a bunch of baloney. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, that is a myth that needs to be busted completely. Yes, if you were an elite athlete at your very best at age 25, are you going to run that well at age 65? No, I'm not going to say that. But the vast majority of us never reached our potential in those peak years. So we have a ton of, of room to grow. So the vast majority of people who found running late in life have tons of untapped potential. And you can reach that untapped potential if you are doing balanced, smart training. So what that means is you are running. Of course you're running. If you want to be a better runner, the only way to do that is run. Um, So you want to run enough and you want to have varied training or polarized training. So the vast majority of your running should be at an easy pace where you, like you said, you could talk to a running buddy the whole time. You could close your mouth and breathe out of your nose for a few minutes. That's a quick test um, if you don't have any kind of breathing issues with your nose. Some people do and they say, oh, I can't breathe out of my nose when I'm walking. But (laughs) if, if you normally can, that's a quick test. And then you don't want to forget speed work. So this is what I sometimes encounter with some of my masters athletes is that all they want to do is the low is the slow, easy running. They're really, really good at that. And they kind of, you know, are hesitant to do speed work, maybe because they've been injured in the past, or maybe they just, you know, think it's too hard or don't believe in themselves or whatever it is. There's, there's a little hesitation with speed work. You will never get faster if you don't do speed work after a certain point. So, you know, you need to build up the power. You need to build up your tendons. It's not just your muscles that move your body. It's all of the other stuff. So you do have to do speed work, but it's a sprinkle of it. It's not that much. Your, um, you know, a good ratio that people throw out there is 80-20. So 80% easy, 20% hard. And sometimes there's a little medium in that 20%. It's not all lung busting, I'm dying, I'm on hands on knees, you know, that kind of stuff is like maybe 5% or for some people it's almost never. Um, so you really need to mix this stuff up. And then, um, 
strength training, strength training, strength training, strength training. Mm -hmm. You have to do it. And even if you don't want to be a runner, even if you just want to have fun with the grandkids, strength training is the most bang for your buck. We lose muscle mass as we age. And if we don't lift heavy things every once in a while, we will lose it faster than if we keep doing that. So your power and your strength are some of the first things to decline as you age if you don't stop it. So you can slow the rate of that decline if you do just a little bit. I'm talking 30 minutes a week, 30 to 60 minutes a week. You know, you don't really need to invest a ton in it, but you have to do it. Um, The other thing I would say that um, masters athletes need to focus on is their power. So that means doing things that have jumping or sprinting in it. So it could be as easy as some strides after your run. So that would be 20 seconds, maybe four times of an acceleration to almost your top pace, but not quite. Um, Accelerate up, hit your top pace for a few seconds, accelerate down. Think of the bell curve when you're doing this. It's not an all-out race. Do that maybe four times with full recovery. That is a super quick, easy way in just a couple of minutes to keep your power, to keep your tendons strong. Um, And it doesn't need its own recovery day. So, you know, lots and lots of little things. And then, of course, we come to recovery. You know, (laughs) as we're older, we need to recover more. Our cells do not grow and repair like they did when we are 20. So we can't train like the 20-year-olds. We need more time in between our hard sessions. And really focusing on your recovery is the major difference between us and, and, you know, the 20 year olds. So we really need to make sure that we're spreading out our hard efforts. We're spreading out our long efforts and that we really take care of, you know, the gift we've been given. We can go out and run and you can do it for a really, really long time if you're smart about it. Yeah. I love all those suggestions. Um, I think kind of what you brought up is that, you know, maybe if a person started running when they were younger Um, And you can sometimes when you're younger, you can get away with more of the bad habits, you know, like Mm -hmm. not taking a rest day or maybe not dialing in your nutrition or not strength training. But for every person, there's going to come that point. And it's usually after 40 that you start paying for those things. (laughs) And, you know, we just want people to learn by example and not have to learn by experience that it's no fun to be injured. It's no fun to not feel like you're making progress in your goals And all those things that you talked about are going to pay off in a huge way. (laughs) Yeah. And it's tough, you know, when you have kids or if you have parents that you're also trying to take care of, you know, in your 40s and 50s is kind of a really busy time. And hopefully when the kids grow up a little bit and, you know, you might get a little more free time or if they're totally out of the house, that's an amazing time to start running because you have all this time to yourself that, you know, you don't have to spend, you know, worrying about your kids so much. So there's a lot of real opportunities being a master's runners that you don't get when you have, you know, little itty bitty babies or, or really busy life. And I think, like you said, that even the mindset part of it, I feel like as a 40 plus runner, you've been through some stuff in life, you've survived hard things, Um, you've, you know, made yourself do things and you've, you know, maybe raised children, you've, you know, gotten somewhere in your career, you've changed jobs, you went back to school, there's like so many different things. 
And so I think you just have that higher ability to deal with hard stuff. And yeah. so with running, it's one of those things that you choose to do. So it's even better because it's hard, but you're choosing to do it. And a lot of the hard stuff in life, we don't choose. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of gets yeah. handed to us. And so I think, you know, you can really bring all that mental strength and experience into your running um, from other areas of your life. It's kind of like nothing that you went through in life is wasted. Yeah. <laughs> that's an amazing thing. Absolutely. And it's and it's your time. You mm-hmm. know, you can carve it. Nobody else in your family wants to go running with you. So you can just be like, <laughs> I'm going running and you get your escape. You get, you get your own time. Your kids aren't going to run with you. They would rather play video games or whatever they do. No, I'm kidding. If your kids run with you, you are doubly blessed. Yes. Um, my kids are just starting to, my 13 year old boy is running with me in the morning. We'll do mm, one mile nice. and then we do one stride, which is, which is a race. He, yep. and I'm still beating him for now. I'm still winning, but there will be a time when he beats me. It's coming soon. It's coming. Yep. But yeah, like what you're saying, like your run can be your escape. It can be your way of taking care of yourself. You know, there's so many demands on us in this age, whether you're a parent or not. If you're not a parent, you have other demands for sure on your life. So it's a way to just be like, okay, I'm taking the time to like improve myself. I am going to be a better person and I'm going to choose that. And yes, it's hard and it wouldn't be worth it if it wasn't. So are you training for any race uh, coming up? Uh, no, I'm not. I um, haven't raced in a bit. You know, I really burned out pretty hard in the marathon. I was so focused on it. You know, I am that typical type A runner and really, really focused on hitting my big goal to hit 258. The, the marathon I ran before that was three hours and 29 seconds, you oh, know? So wow. I was just Oof. like, oh my God, I'm so close. And so it was everything I had to run that. I, I told myself if I hit the sub three, I never have to do this again. And I haven't. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's because I don't have the motivation to to go the next step. I know what it takes to go that fast, and I'm not willing to do that anymore. I know the sacrifice. I know how hard that is. And just trying to like improve a minute or two is not exciting and motivating to me. So I haven't done it again. I'll probably do it again. I'm sure I will. But I would need a completely different motivation. It wouldn't be for time. Mm-hmm. So I haven't found that yet. And to be perfectly honest, I absolutely love helping others reach their marathon dreams and, and other distances. And I don't have to do all the hard work. Right. <laughs> they do all the running and I get to enjoy it. You know, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But my mind has shifted from focusing on, oh, I've got to be this, that, and the other with my running to a more mm-hmm. kind of, I really want to be fit. Running is always a part of my life. I run every day, but I don't train for races anymore. I was that person who was so time focused. I Mm -hmm. really, really was time focused. And you know what? I don't regret that. I accomplished something totally kick-ass. I totally did. But that's not the way I define my life anymore. I would need a different motivation than that, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the awesome thing about running is that it can be different things to us in different phases of our life. And Mm -hmm. you're not always going to be motivated to chase PRs. You're not always going to be motivated to go longer distances. And that's okay. Like running can enhance your life in any capacity. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's really awesome. You do need to use the Trevor Spencer marathon training plan. It's basically you do like 50% of the plan and then, <laughs> you know, you just go and enjoy it and you just totally don't even wear a watch. And, oh my God. You know, take lots really, of pictures. Take How lots do of pictures. you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so sacrilegious running without a watch. <laughs> I, well, I, I have my Apple watch, but that's just to check my oh. email while I run. And it usually <laughs> dies, you know, when he's out there. So. <laughs> Well, not this new one. This new one's doing great. Uh-huh. Oh, great. So you can work and be productive while you're running. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I run. I don't have to work and be productive. Right, right. All right. So one final question. If folks want to find you online and check out what you're doing, where can we send them? Well, you can check out the podcast, um, The Planted Runner. I do have a 12-week marathon series that's completely free at theplantedrunner.com slash marathon. And what that is, is it breaks down what you should be doing each and every week for 12 weeks before your marathon. And I love to post lots of running tips on Instagram, so you can find me there at The Planted Runner. Well, thank you for speaking with us today, Claire. Absolutely. It was such a delight to chat with you both. This was so much fun. We hope that all of you listening enjoyed this episode. Big thanks for being a subscriber. You can find us at MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. You might notice right there on the homepage, there is a link to set up a free call with our head coach, Coach Nicole Hart, who is always happy to talk about your goals for your spring marathon or whatever you have coming up and how we can best help you here at Marathon Training Academy. So that's it for this episode. Until next time, remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my way.